It's football and other F-words, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, coming to your computers, to your telephones, whatever you're using to watch us. Maybe you're even watching us on the big screen like you want to do. I'm Zach Lyons. You follow me on X at F-words pod. He's Mike Herndon. You can follow him on X at Mike Herndon NFL. The logos still aren't changed. Logos not changed. So uh, ben, I think we should still have to call it Twitter until uh, until you change the logos. Can't can't do it. Just so you know, <laughs> you know, I just can't, haven't been able to get there yet. But we're going to be talking all about the Titans roster. We got so much to get to. Uh, but first, Bluegrass Beverages, our sponsor, Hendersonville, Tennessee, celebrating their fiftieth anniversary of being open this Saturday. There's going to be food trucks from twelve to four. Food trucks. There's going to be breweries. Come out and have some fun. It's free, so come out and join. Come see me and Stoney as we do a special prediction live podcast there at Bluegrass Beverages. It'll be me and Stoney who's filling in for Mike because Mike has he, he's moving to, to Austin, so he's moved on from all of his friends in, in Tennessee. He hates us, <laughs> and he does not want to hang out with us, so... That is what is happening there. <laughs> Not accurate. Saying, saying goodbye to my family. <laughs> um, he's he listen. Mike thinks so highly of himself that he is now he's going to be by Sunday up to three different goodbye parties because I'm counting the fantasy football draft goodbye parties. So like he's got the fantasy football league. He's got to say goodbye to the family. And then there's like a uh, I'm not going to tell the location because I don't want any of you guys. Sh- creepers showing up <laughs> but there's also a second you know like kind of like i guess maybe friends and spouses i guess you could call it but yeah lot, lots of going away parties for mike here oh you know i'm i've been uh You're not going off the time. war <laughs> been here a long time going going back so okay so the first question on everybody's mind because there's a lot of news with titans roster coming down and i and I have a personal question. No, well, not personal question, but I have a question personally for you. <laughs> all right. Where and why did all of this Ty- Tyree Phillips love come from when he got cut from the Giants? And everybody, I mean, every time, I I think it originated with like a think it was Titans fanalist account or something. Bringing I thought it, it up. was Tehran. Ter- Tehran put out something about they needed to go. Check. And and maybe it was Tehran. I, I don't know. Kick the tires. On, yeah, on Tyree kick Phillip. the tires on a guy who spells his name like tires, yeah. uh, who happens to be a tire fire of a right tackle who has never played a full season. He's ended two. He's been on the IR multiple times, IR list. And he's never he's we're talking like he's allowed 16 total pressures, including six sacks on 208 pass blocking snaps. That's not good. Not good. So why did all of these Titans fans come in my mentions? I was like, oh, who do you want them to claim? And what's the corresponding move? You know, and but everybody's like, oh, it's we got to get Tyree Phillips. Why? Like he is not better than Chris Hubbard. And that is saying something. He um, I mean. I think the Tyree Phillips thing probably comes from one. He's an SEC offensive tackle. Oh, well, um, then stop right there. I understand now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and this team needs offensive tackles. So, I, I think it's yeah, it's a connecting of the dots there. Uh, Kenneth comes in to the mentions, and I, I surprisingly enough, I guess he didn't read my tweet where I said, it, "Never been more happy to be wrong. Never been happier to be wrong that they that that Caleb Murphy's on the team." 
because I was rooting for Caleb Murphy. But let's I before we get into all the player moves, I want to talk about your feelings towards Rand Carthon and slash Mike Vrabel in this uh this offseason, but also with how they kept the 53. Because to me, this is a definitive and glaring difference and answer to who was responsible for the 53 under John Robinson. Because if you, I feel like this is a totally different approach in who they kept, why they kept, and what those people bring versus what they've kept over the last previous years. And also who they've signed after, you know, who they've claimed and who they've signed after this, after all this, I feel like it's a, it's a refreshing way to look at because they are, to me, they are balancing, doing a good balancing act of veteran presence, reliability and upside. And I feel like that has not been the case. It's always veteran responsibility. And as long as we got 53 veterans, that's all that matters. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to, like, know how to read too much into that just based on the fact that, like, this roster and the salary cap situation and everything else that Carthon inherited was different than what it had been for most of the John Robinson era, right? Like, he was pretty cap-strapped. Like, we knew they were going to have to have some, By his like, own design. Well, yeah, by John Robinson's design, right? Like, yeah. Um, so Carthon kind of inherited that mess and has had to deal with it. And look, he's got um, a lot of UDFAs on this roster, which I think is not. It's a it's a pretty clear indication that like what we've been talking about all summer with the depth on this team that it's a concern is a concern because you know the other teams that have a lot of UDFAs and like rookies on their rosters, the Rams, the the Bucks, the other you know rosters that are generally considered like some of the worst in the NFL right now. So I think it's a but they didn't have to do this. That's what I'm saying because if let's take the example of Caleb Murphy. If this yeah. was a John Robinson roster, he would not have made this this team because we have seen Caleb Murphy's come and go for this team that had upside and they had avail they had holes on the roster to fill at that spot and we would have. I would think that you would see like Anthony Kendall probably wouldn't have made this team, you know, stuff. Those guys that made this team, I just don't feel like is would have been here if it was John Robinson. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's definitely a new direction. I like the, what they've done with the roster overall, because like, you know, like I just said, the, they did come in with some constraints um, they didn't spend a ton of money. They didn't kick a ton of cans down the road financially. I mean, they they minimally restructured uh, deals for the most part. Um, they have done some void years and stuff like that, but that's that's pretty much standard practice in the NFL at this point. Um, so they they have definitely not put they've put themselves in a situation where next year they're going to have significant cap space, um, especially if they don't end up bringing back Ryan Tannehill, which I wouldn't expect them to do at this point. I think they're going to roll with the young guys um, really, unless it's just a total disaster behind the scenes at this point. Like, right. Isn't that kind of how you feel that that's they're moving on uh, after this year? I mean, from Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Uh, 
Unless not, unless I'm Levis not, and Willis are just really bad, and they're yeah, just like, well, oh, and that's, there's a high bad. percentage chance that that is going to be the case. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's a it's a better than average chance right now until I guess until they actually pull the trigger that yeah. I am not but, ready to say that Will Levis and Malik Willis because like we're we're not there behind the scenes, right? So like yeah. to me, if you're if if they were placing betting odd favorites whether it was going to be one of the one of Will Levis or Malik Willis or Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback in 2024 not not doing the field or the uh, another veteran quarterback i i think it would be like minus 360 in favor of Ryan Tannehill being really? like yeah i I, man, I don't think I'd, it's as close as what you're trying to paint it out to be no i would take the other side of that to be honest with you i i think they've set all this up so that they can reset the cap next year and build around one of those young guys. Well, and that I, would be I great. I mean, if they could, but I mean, they there's because of Will Levis's uh injuries, my my feeling is at this point is that like they'll know, but we don't know. Like that's, oh, yeah. that's we won't, the thing. We won't, we won't know, know until anything. it happens. Yeah. So if like right now, if I if I'm gonna stay true to my word and my belief that Will Levis is not very good and Malik Willis is not very good, then I'm going to be siding with the Ryan Tannehill until we get some kind of sign otherwise that one of these guys could be the future uh, franchise quarterback. So, like, I'm I'm not as confident in in the opinion of, like, to me right now, if I was setting, like, percentages, 75%. Ryan Tannehill's back or a veteran, but like 75%. It's mm. basically, it's not one of those other guys. <laughs> I think I'm like 60, 40 that it's one of the young guys. Yeah. Which, so you're, you're in, you're thinking 60% is going to be one of the young guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm on, I'm, I'm on the other side of that, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of the background for all of this too, is like how he's treated the cap, how he's treated the season. It's clear. They want to compete this year. They, they went out and got Hopkins um, you know, obviously the retooling of the roster, um, and we can talk about Travis Gibson and mm-hmm. Kendall Vildor, um, you know, later, but it, it's, they've definitely built out a better roster than what I thought they'd be able to, um, given the resources that they had available to them. Um, there's still some depth problems for sure. And like I said, you know, keeping five UDFAs is not a great sign for the roster. Now it's a good sign that maybe you, your scouting staff turned up some good, um, you know, hidden gems potentially. Like, I don't know if Anthony Kendall's ever going to be anything for this roster. I don't know if Matthew Jackson is ever going to be anything more than a special teams guy. Um, but I think Caleb Murphy has potential. I think, uh, I think Kyrus Jackson has potential, um, to, to kind of earn roles long-term, um, on the defense. So, or on a defense or the offense. Um, so yeah, I think they've got some guys that are very interesting, um, from a UDFA standpoint and in the practice squad, I like too. I like a lot of the guys that they brought back. Um, and think they've, they've really refreshed a lot of it too, because like, you know, there's some Mason Kinsey's and Sam Aquanu holdovers, but, and Jordan Ruse, I think is back on the practice squad, but mm-hmm. like probably 75% of the practice squad is new um guys that were not with the team last year so it's it's definitely a big turnover um from year to year compared to last year well there's definitely were a lot of surprises uh i i did my count i think i was at four i'm counting michael badgley's like exit and a veteran as a half because i knew that michael badgley was going to be on like the roster at week one but i thought they may 
could be carrying him. But they'll, they yeah. I knew they were going to play from somewhere. Do I get credit for putting not Michael Badgley? Yeah, as my I picker? think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So I was down to 43 and a half. So that is, that is five worse than what I was last year, which is a sign that this is, to me is like a, it was a different approach to building the roster for the Tennessee Titans that we've seen in the past. Cause you normally you could kind of predict it anyway. I don't know yeah. where you ended up. Um, I don't think I've counted mine yet. I was actually going back to try to find it. I know I've missed several. I missed. Yeah. I mean, it was, there was some shocking. So I want to go through my list of biggest surprises in order before we get into the roster makeup itself and get your thoughts. I thought the most surprising one myself in order keeping rice and Otis. So like it's both of them. Like I'm not terribly surprised that Otis made it, but I'm really shocked that both of those guys made it over some of the flip cup boys, the cracker backs um, cutting Gehrer is number two. Number three was keeping Matt Jackson. Number four was cutting Chance Campbell, cutting both Odekoye and Raider, cutting both Aquanu and Rush, and keeping Naquan and cutting the rest but PV. Like obviously PV made it, but we're not neither of us are surprised. Where where do you fall on let's let's put in the linebackers all in one thing. So where do you fall on Rice, Otis, and Chance Campbell and how that that inside linebacking room played out? And are you surprised they didn't make a play for any linebackers so far off the waivers or that were best of veterans that were released? Yeah, so I just counted up. I missed seven, so I had 46 out of 53. Which is um, not bad. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, the linebackers were surprised because I thought, to me, I thought Campbell was, like, closer to linebacker three, like, inside linebacker three than he was to the bubble. So that that one was a pretty big surprise. That was probably the biggest surprise as far as the guys that missed the cut. Um, and, look, I, maybe I should have been more on the Otis Reese thing um, just based on Vrabel practically, like, but he didn't do doing, anything like, in the game. He, he didn't. Yeah, that's the thing. He didn't. He did nothing in the preseason. So this is all based off of tape, uh, practice, like all this other stuff that yeah that they evaluated this off of. Which is why I always always mention it. Like we do get to see preseason games, but we shouldn't overrate them because like there's that's like maybe ten percent of the evaluation of these guys overall is what they do in the preseason games. The rest is all you know, a bunch of practices that occur not only in training but then, camp, but over the summer, but then all the time the flip in the side, you got Reggie room, Roberson, right? Classroom. Like well, then you have well, Reggie I Roberson mean, who did everything you said, but he wasn't good at the 10%. Like it's just, yeah, but we, I, we don't, know, I, how I don't these, know. Yeah. We don't know who these guys are in the weight room, the classroom, like yeah. stuff like that. Like there could be other stuff that, I mean, it, I just, I'm always very, cognizant of the fact that like we don't see like the full evaluation picture that they do um which is why i'm always like you gotta take some of the preseason stuff although look there is something to the fact that like hey you're doing it in a game situation that matters and that's why i do think caleb murphy getting four sacks and continuing like if caleb murphy had had four sacks but he hadn't put up 25 and a half sacks in his final year in college i might not have been as like okay, he's got to make the team as I was, but when it's, you've got college production and you turn around and jump up to, and look like he wasn't going against Trent Williams, right? Um, he was going against second, third string tackles, but 
it's still a huge jump up from division two. I think, yeah, he's division yeah, two. Yeah, whatever right? community college he went to. <laughs> it's still a huge jump up from Ferris State um, in their competition. So for him to continue that production against much, much better players tells me like, yeah, there's something there that should be developed. So I think there's, you have to kind of like pick and choose and, and maybe it's bias driven or, or, or something to some degree, but I do think you have to kind of pick and choose what is important from the preseason and what is not. But why keep rice? Okay. So yeah, I don't know. So money rice, you know, he puts out that weird <laughs> quote to John Glennon. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And Life today, and God or something. Well, yeah. And then today Mike Vrabel's asked about it and he and Mike Vrabel alludes to the fact that it is in, it was injury related. Right. So is Monty Rice Monty Rice is lying while also praising and talking about God in his life. I mean, what is going on with Monty Rice and why are they continuing to keep him? Because to me, like I, I get it with Otis. I mean, you saw it with Jack Gibbons and Dylan Cole. They they love these little scrappers. That will only be able to go. Um, I, don't, I don't know why I'm being told about Starfield reviews. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know anything about Starfield. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> the uh, I don't understand this Monty Rice thing, and I don't understand why he's continuing to get these chances while also like you're praising a guy like Otis and giving him a shot. But Chance Campbell, who was there all offseason long, who has shown last year in preseason games, this year in preseason games, he's much closer to being developed than some of these other linebackers that they kept, like Otis Reese. And then you're going to keep a guy that doesn't stay healthy, that is weirdly just quoting stuff that doesn't make any sense. And I just don't, I don't get it. Like, that is the thing to me that has been so confusing about this roster. Like I like the roster. I like how it ended up. I like that they're doing, you know, a little bit of upside over, you know, the veterans like Oquanu or Thomas rush and stuff like that. I like it, but I don't understand all their choices. And this is the one I, I just can't get over. I just have no clue why Monty rice is still on this team. And I, it's just, it's odd. It's just odd to me. I think they I think they do like Monty Rice's ability um, from the fact of what he's, ability? A side, he's a he's a sideline to sideline linebacker. He's physical. He does a lot of the show things. it sometime in an NFL game. He does a lot of the things that they like, um, you know, that Mike Vrabel likes. Now, look, he can't stay healthy. And I think he was lying about the injury, frankly, because he may have been worried that if he did get cut, that he wouldn't be picked up by another team if they knew he was hurt again um, because he's always hurt. He's always been hurt going back to like his freshman year at Georgia. Um, so look, this is only a matter of time before he's hurt again, in my opinion. And then, you know, maybe he'll be off the roster at that point. So I, I think his days are relatively numbered, especially if he like, if he cannot pass Jack Gibbons for that inside linebacker spot <laughs> at some point during the season, I think we abandon all hope for Monty Rice. And and really, we probably should have already abandoned all hope for Monty Rice. But were you the surprised they didn't added? add? Well, I'm surprised that Christian Kirksey did not find his way on this team. I really mm. thought that Christian Kirksey would be on this team. I mean, he has he's the former Texan, so you always got that, you know, in there, you know, the love incest between the Texans, the the Falcons and the and the Titans going and the on. Bears. Uh, the Bears now. 
but I, I thought for sure, because he's just a reliable tackling machine. He's not dynamic, but he is better than any of the guys that they kept opposite of Aziz Al-Shayir. Uh, so I was kind of surprised. So were you surprised that there that was the one spot that was untouched so far? Um, I'm a little surprised that it was untouched because I feel like they could get better there at inside linebacker, but um, I'm not sure Kirksey was the answer. Like, to me, Kirksey is in his 30s. He's, like, the opposite of what they're wanting to get in general, like, which is younger, faster, all that stuff. He's not fast. Um, he's losing, you know, ground. The fact that the Texans cut him, I think, tells you a little bit about where he's at in his career. Because, I mean, he's apparently a great locker room guy, great leader, all that stuff. But I feel like the Titans are like, we've got Kirksey at home and Jack Gibbons just because, you know, he's as far as leadership and, you know, being able to get the defense in the right call and that kind of thing. I think Gibbons checks all those boxes for you. Again, he's not the most dynamic athlete either, but neither is Kirksey. So I'm not sure that Kirksey gives you anything that Gibbons doesn't at this point in his career. Besides uh, experience. Were you surprised at Garrett and Matt Jackson, how that kind of like safety – yeah. Defensive back room sh- shook out a little bit. I, Matt, Matthew Jackson, I guess I should have paid more attention to the uh, the fact that he was being used frequently as a gunner um, in preseason because that is really like. And PK made a good point about that. It's they when you when a guy's getting a ton of snaps at gunner in preseason, you should pay attention because that's that's a premier role on special teams, and they aren't going to waste those reps um in preseason because those are guys that are going to be playing in preseason so they go ahead and get them you know they get those spots figured out in preseason because that's when you can actually tackle live all that stuff so um jackson got a ton of reps there i would imagine we see him at gunner um you know maybe chris moore takes the other one or nwi or or maybe yeah gunner who wasn't kendall doing gunner Anthony Kendall, yeah, I think he did he did some gunning as well. So like they've got a lot of options there. Um I think they're gonna have a pretty decent special teams unit from you know, basically from what they've kept, because they've got a lot of guys who can contribute on special teams uh on this roster. Um I mean you even look at like Luke Gifford, Otis Reese. It, Otis Reese and Matthew Jackson are kind of interesting because they're the same size almost. Like Matthew Jackson's like 6'1, 209. Otis Reese is like 6'3, 214. They're like the same size guy, but uh, obviously Reese is listed as a linebacker. Jackson's listed as a safety. Um, but they're going to play a similar role, I think. On you know, They're both going to be key special teams guys for you. And they're both kind of like seek and destroy type you know, hitters. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they're those guys need, are deployed. By the way, we'll get to that later, but they're going to need that. Who? So oh, destroy. oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that for sure. It's not as bad as what everybody says, but I think there's a reason why the stats don't look as bad as what everybody says. But Odakoya didn't make it, and Kevin Ritter didn't make it. They're moving yeah. the three tied ends only. Now, they did put in a waiver claim for... Everybody keeps calling him a wide receiver, but I think the NFL Elijah has him Higgins. as a tight end, Elijah mm-hmm. Higgins, who was at the Senior Bowl. So I thought that was interesting yeah. that they put in a claim on him. So I asked you, Mike, because they kept they kept Josh, they kept uh, Chig, and they kept uh, Travon, which we you know all knew that they would. 
what does this say to you? That seems to be like the big question. That's the question they asked Rand Carthon today during the pressers. The question they asked Mike Vrabel. When you look at the three tight ends and three running backs and the seven wide receivers kept, but now there's only six wide receivers currently on the roster with Kyle Phillips going to IR. Does this, are people trying to read too much into it? Because we have seen the Tennessee Titans keep only three tight ends before and continue just to run the ball. So there's also, you know, you could call these guys up, swap them out, do all the stuff. Are people reading a little too much into how those three positions shook out compared to what the offense is going to be? Yeah, I think you should totally ignore the running back thing because they only had three running backs worth keeping. Like, it, I know people got obsessed with Jack Patrick for whatever But he reason. signed it to your contract, Mike. <laughs> That that was the most – I don't know. Someone was out there pushing that narrative because I heard it from way too many different people who would jump in the comments and say something about, hey, he got a two-year contract. Did you know you got a two-year contract? And I'm like, where is this coming from? Because it is nonsense. Like, he got zero guaranteed money. Like, it means nothing. You can wad up that second year and throw it away at any point. Um, so it's literally meaningless. So I, I just – people got carried away with that, which was funny. But – um. Jack Patrick was like, I mean, he's a fucking, he's a straight ahead steamroller. Like, I, I thought he looked okay in preseason two. Oh, everybody I mean, called him like Derrick Henry 2.0. He's just like on. Derrick Henry. Come yeah. On. Okay. Ridiculous. Let's calm down there. Yeah. He's like great value, Derrick Henry, uh, with like, like a, like a refurbished great value, Derrick Henry. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I I wasn't surprised they didn't keep him. He wasn't worth keeping. Like Julius Chestnut, frankly, can back up both spots, like both the Derrick Henry role and the Tajay Spears role. So um, there's no need for a fourth running back on this roster. So I don't think there's anything to read in there. Um, as far as the tight ends go, though, I do think it's probably related to the Kyle Phillips injury more than anything. The fact that they kept seven receivers initially. And of course now they only have six because they did, did move Phillips to IR. Um, so I think that's why they initially kept three tight ends and they can just call guys up. They can call up Otakoya, Um, Although they have to remove his international pathway exemption in order to call him up, which means they don't get that extra 17th practice squad player um, if they do that. So it may be Raider that gets the first shot uh, as if they want to call up a fourth tight end. But I, I think maybe the thing to take away from that number is that they are pretty happy with Josh Wiley as a blocker um, to this point and don't necessarily feel like they have to have another dedicated blocking tight end uh, on the roster. So I, I think that's kind of, my biggest takeaway is that they feel like Josh Wiley's good enough that if they have to put him in there to block, that he can get the job done and and be okay. Because uh, Wesco's going to handle the tr the heavy lifting, but I mean, if Wesco got hurt during a game, I feel like they they could put Wiley in at Y like that Y inline spot and get by. I I wish I had bookmarked the tweet before the X feed refreshed, but because I, I cannot remember who said it, but there was a respectable titans analyst slash i think it was maybe one of the 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 websites like a to z or titans wire or something but someone respectable and because I, I was very taken aback and then like it accidentally refreshed called josh wiley a bust already what do you think about Whoa. that 
Yeah. That's way, 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 way too early for that. You may, you may need to like look on Twitter and put Josh Wiley bust and see if we can uh, figure that out. But I was, I was very surprised by that because it's like already is it. And, and I think it's people that are still thinking that he is the reason why there are interceptions. Maybe he should have knocked them down. But Malik Willis threw horrible passes. But I'm not surprised that Josh Wiley made it. I am surprised. I mean, I was a five tight end kind of guy. But then apparently, Lise Mack, he got injured. So he was waived with an injury designation. And then when I I'm saw not, I, both I'm of us. I'm not seeing anything on here. For I, I'll see if lost. I can have to find it. Yeah. Um, I, did, I am not making it up. I just don't know who uh, said it. Um, but uh, they must have deleted it. Oh, they must have. Uh oh. Uh oh. Well, Damn. somebody, somebody caught, uh, yeah. Someone tweeting got, someone instead of some replies, probably. Yeah. And, uh, they must have deleted it. Anyway, um, the, when we saw Raider get cut, we were both like, oh, it's, it's Odakoya, obviously, because yeah. obviously going to keep four tight ends. And then he didn't. So, like, that to me was one of the bigger surprises that both of those guys got cut. Um, We've already hinted around on Caleb Murphy and Thomas or Sam McQuano and T- Thomas Rush. So I'm not going to really talk about that. But speaking of obsessions, Naquan Jones is back on this roster. Why? Because he is the know. definition of just a fat guy out there. I mean, I, I like Naquan his first year in 2021 when he was here as a rookie. And I mean, he had a, I think he had a couple sacks that year. Like he played well when they, they put him in the game. Um, and so I liked him, but then last year he was completely missing in action. Like he, he would play, he would get on the field. He would do nothing. Like he, he just was completely useless out there last year. Now I, I understand apparently he was dealing with some sort of injury last season that may have, you know, hindered him, but then he was hurt in preseason too. So, I mean, if, if he can't stay healthy, you know, you can't stay on the field. I I just don't know why him over someone like Kyle Pecco or someone like, um, you know, Michael Dwumfor or, uh, yeah, someone like that. I guys that flashed more during the preseason than, than what Naquan did because Naquan was a playing. Yeah, I I don't get it. Michael Jerome for for sure, I thought was going to make it. Uh, I mean, he him him and Kyle Pecco at some point, but and I mean the good news is like all these guys that we're bringing up that we're surprised didn't make it are all on the practice squad, now. right? So like they're still yeah. with the team, so it, it's it's a, and they're and they're also like they're not pivotal players. No, if it, for for at the moment, you know, de- depending on other injury. But here's an interesting. Um, I don't know why this happened. So Corey Le- Paul Karski is reporting off of a tweet from Teron Davenport. So Teron says the Titans are releasing offensive lineman Justin Murray, who is probably the second best depth player on the team in the preseason, to make room for the addition of Travis Gibson. Uh, which I thought they were at fifty-two yesterday, and they didn't have to drop anybody for Gibson. So that's kind of weird. Well- I think I think the issue was, and I put this out last night actually, that it was an order of operations thing because I don't think Kyle Phillips to IR processed until the end of the day, and I think gotcha. they already had they had to they had to make room beforehand or something like that. But I think it had to do with like order of operations. So, and well, then Corey Corey Levin is returning. He was spotted at practice. Now, no 
no idea what he's returning as, but think there. He, Paul Karski says think there is a procedural reason they they cut him for a day instead of going straight to Murray. Uh, so that so that was interesting as well. Uh, cutting Murray, I think, is a bad move. Uh, I do not agree with it. Uh, I didn't mind Corey Levin getting cut because, I mean, you have Xavier Newman-Johnson, you have Dylan Radins coming back, but and you had Justin Murray. But to me, Justin Murray, if Chris Hubbard sucks in this six, these first six games, was your guy that would go in to replace him before they get to NPF, before they get NPF back. I do not agree with this. This is like the sixth thing, though, that makes me very confident that they believe Dylan Radins is going to be back, like, very soon. Like, back and ready to play. Um, Because, one, bringing him off a PUP made zero sense to me at the time they did it, because I was like, it's only four weeks this year. Like, it's only four weeks if you go on PUP. So, they have to think that Raidens is going to be ready to play within the first three weeks of the season um, or four weeks, I guess. Otherwise it makes zero sense not to pull him off. And then they, uh, they move on from, from Murray, which is another thing. Um, and it's, it's just, it seems to me like they are setting themselves up to where Raidens is going to get a shot at right tackle within those first six weeks. I, I think that's the plan. I, I think, they are going to try to get him up to speed and then maybe not by week one, but maybe by like week three, I think he's going to be challenging Hubbard. If Hubbard struggles at all early on, I think we could see Raidens at right tackle sooner rather than later. And look, Raidens might not give that job back if he plays well at right tackle. Uh, you know, that might push Petit Frere to the bench because um, Raidens is – and I know Raidens has had his issues. And I know people are all over the place with Raidens as far as their confidence level. Raidens is talented enough to keep NPF on the bench to me. Like he, he has got all the measurables. Um, he can move. He looks the part. Um, I, I mean, he's got a lot of the boxes checked from a talent standpoint. I think it's just putting it all together, technique, confidence, all that stuff. So, We'll see like how his development comes, but he was already doing team. Uh, yeah, he, he did he, some teamwork today, yeah. which tells me like he's close. Like he's close, and if his conditioning's good enough that he could play, I think he might be active week one, which is insane to me. Given that, do he you think ACL that if December. he is active week one, that he gets to start week one, or do you think it's Chris Hubbard no matter what? That's a good question because I I don't know that it's Chris Hubbard no matter what. I mean, Hubbard to me is like you you mentioned the definition of a jag. Hubbard is an absolute jag. Like he's a replacement level guy. He should be like a seventh or eighth offensive lineman on most teams. I, that's um, why I think that they should have kept Justin Murray over Chris Hubbard. I I don't understand. I think Murray and Hubbard one or the, the other. Yeah, I think, I think Murray's better, not by much, but it's kind of like. Uh, People want David Questenberry back, you know, to me, it's just like, he's just, another, they're all, they're he's another the Chris same Hubbard. guy, yeah. you know, but like, I'm going to at least take the guy with the longer arms. Yeah, true, true. But I mean, look, yeah, that's why I really think Raidens is going to play within the first, I, I'll say by week three, Raidens is starting somewhere on the offensive line. There you go. Um, do you feel, how do you feel about the depth at offensive line? Are you still Bad. like, you hate it? You still hate it? Um, it's not good. I mean, because the talk I, I heard on sports radio yesterday, and the reason I want to bring this up 
of course, we've already kind of talked about Dylan Radins's place on this team, but they were going through scenarios. Uh, it was um, uh, is a uh, Jared versus Joe, and they when they're talking about if Andre Dillard gets injured or Andre Dillard sucks, who would be the next guy up over at that position? And they neither of them had confidence in Dylan Radins to be that guy. And they and they 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 only brought up and talked about the Chargers game last year, but they neither of them brought up the San Francisco 49ers game. What? Well, sorry, yeah, San Francisco 49ers game, uh, two years ago in 2021, where he did play considerable time at the left tackle spot. So to me, I felt like before our conversation about Dylan Raines and right tackle and Justin Murray beaten cut. It's like, okay, well, to me, the offensive line depth is okay because as long as not like five starters are going out at once, the guys that they have to plug and play, like Xavier Newman-Johnson, like Jordan Ruse on the practice squad, like Dylan Radins, can work without having to move, if one guy goes down, without having to move the other four. And But they felt that was like, okay, well, if Andre, if Andre Dillard goes down, you're in trouble because I guess you're putting Skaronsky over there. Then you're doing this and that. And I'm like, no, I would think that Dylan Radins would have been that guy. I, that's kind of what I think too. I, I tend to think, and I, I mentioned this in my um, article at paulkarski.com this week. The, uh, I think that Radins, his being pigeonholed as a guard was a Keith Carter thing. Like everything from Brable's comments last year, uh, to the fact that Vrabel now is openly talking about Raiden's in the mix at right tackle, um, but you know, just when he was activated off of PUP, you know, he he mentioned him as, you know, hey, we've got Hubbard there. We'll look at. Um, I think he mentioned Murray, and then he mentioned Raiden's um, as options at right tackle. Um, the fact that he's already talking about him there, I think it was a Keith Carter thing. I think Keith Carter had convinced himself and maybe it convinced Mike Vrabel that Raiden's needed to play inside because he couldn't hold up out at, out at tackle. And that's why he ended up there. And I, I wonder if maybe Jason hoteling feel, feels different. Um, it seems like he does. And I definitely think if nothing else, Raiden's is your swing tackle. And to me, even if, you know, say Raiden's plays at right tackle by week three, like I'm saying, um, and then MPF returns in week six and Dillard's just struggling over at left tackle. I could definitely see Raiden's kicking over to left tackle and that you've got Raiden's at left tackle and MPF at right tackle. I wouldn't feel great about that scenario, um, but I feel like that's a viable option. I feel like that's probably a better option than kicking Skaronsky out there and then moving a guard in and, and all this other stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I guess to – to sum it up, I don't feel great about the offensive line depth, but I do feel better with it with Raiden's in the mix because I do think Raiden's hit played pretty well last year for the most part. Like he, he, especially as a pass blocker, he didn't have major issues last season. Whether he was at left tackle or left guard or right guard, he he lined up several different places. He held up pretty well at all of them. Um, so I feel better with Raiden's back in the mix, assuming he is like not going to have the major ACL, you know, issues that, that we've seen guys have in the past, but it seems like both Raiden's and Landry are way ahead of schedule on ACL recovery this year. So, uh, anything else, uh, off 
53. Uh, let's before we move to their additions and Travis Gibson and Vildor. Uh, and, anything and else? Volk. Oh, yeah, and Nick Volk, obviously. Um, the only other things I guess I had from a surprise standpoint on the 53, um, I think. I was a little surprised at Kendall over Garer and um, Stephen Jones Jr., but not, you know, not surprised enough that it's like, oh, that's a huge deal. Um, it was just kind of a their order of the UDFA corners was different than mine. Um, but yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Dowell making it on, I thought was was good. I think that, I think that's a good sign for him. It seemed like he made a push there in that last week where he was getting some reps higher up in the the food chain at wide receiver. Um, and then obviously had a good, good preseason game to back it up and has flashed enough that certainly he's worth keeping around and trying to develop. Um, so I, I think that's, it's encouraging that he's still on the roster to me. Well, let's talk. Um, okay. Let's talk then the additions of Gibson and Vildor. Uh, I thought Vildor was surprising because it was a waiver claim, which means Jan Mackley goes on the 53. I thought that was interesting considering they kept Kendall, who at that point, wouldn't you have... I I, I feel like that you could have done some different roster construction at that point because the door mainly plays outside, and that's where people thought Kendall would be lining up as well. Yeah, uh, that's where Kendall lined up during the preseason. Yeah, he, he's, he's... The door is okay. Uh, I mean, he's a... He's a okay waiver claim and when you're getting picked up for a waiver claim um you're just basically adding depth at this point for certain positions um and that would be the one that i would think that like they have a lot of slot guys but not, not a lot of outside guys and that seems to be what the vador signing is for anything other than that that you want to talk about on vador I also feel I mean, like he was a little bit of a draft darling when he came out. Like, I feel like I recognize was. that name and that he, the fact that he went to Georgia Southern as well. He was definitely a draft darling. I mean, he, he fits the mold of a Titans player. He's physical. Um, he's got good speed. Um, I think he'll he'll slot in. It'll be interesting where he slots in relative to, relative to Trey Avery because I think I think Avery is your top backup on the outside. And, and I mentioned that if Roger McCreary at slot goes down, you're probably going to move Murphy Bunting inside that rather than put Elijah Molden inside because Molden's going to have a role on the defense. Like Molden's going to be your dime back uh, for that big dime package that they run. Like they run it almost every third down. Like it's a regular staple piece. So Molden will have a role on this defense. He'll probably play, you know, close to 30% of snaps if I had to guess. Um, but I think if, if McCreary went down, I think you'd see Murphy bunting slide inside and then you'd have Trey Avery or Vildor slide into that other outside corner spot across from Fulton. So I think that's why they're going with an outside player there. Um, is that Murphy Bunting is really your second slot, and then Molden would probably be your emergency kind of third guy uh, that they drop into that that role rather than one of the other corners. So um, to me, that's that it makes sense in that capacity because you know 
Trey Avery, I like as a developmental backup. He's also old. Like he's, he's old. He was an old rookie last year. I think he's like 26. So everyone considers him like as a developmental he's guy and he's seasoned. He's probably really not. He's probably just a, a, a backup at this point. Yeah. You know, he's always going to be a backup. But um, yeah, I think Vildor and Avery is, is solid, solid as depth at corner i feel good about the corner depth overall ah so you're you're you came around to me feeling pretty good about the corner depth now yeah yeah I've, i actually felt decent about it going into the yeah. off season but i feel really good about it now um trevis gibson uh the, the uh bane of autocorrect uh, users because <laughs> gibson with gibson with a b and then and, trevis and travis yeah um I really like the signing and I think it's crazy that he went through waivers unclaimed and he was just basically essentially a free addition. And this feels like a younger version of the DeMarcus Walker signing last year where you're getting a guy who has shown flashes in the past in the right system. And now he's coming back to the right system. And what are the odds that Tre- Travis Gibson is going to do a lot of damage and then earn himself a second contract somewhere else like DeMarcus Walker did? Because that's what it seems like it's going to be. And spe- that, speaking of depth, I mean, you got him and Autry who can now be your hybrid guys, but mainly Autry can maybe be on the DL and he could be at the edge spot. But like, maybe he's the future Autry for this team. You know, like maybe he is that guy that's going to be play that hybrid spot later on in the uh, a couple of years from now. He'll still be on a Tennessee Titan. We'll be talking about uh, all pro for Trevis at some point. But I don't think he's got that kind of ceiling. I don't think he's got. I don't know. He's he's pretty good. I mean, like if you look at the numbers, he's pretty good, and he was doubled a lot as well. So like he's going to be a little bit more free to roam around and do stuff. I do like the the upside and i don't even think it's really upside i just like the floor of trevis gibson and now the floor this pass rush man it's gonna be nasty like i have such high hopes for it they've got a lot of different bodies they can throw into that pass rush now that are useful pass rushers and yeah i think it's worth getting excited about this point because i think the gibson addition is great i mean like like you said, they, I was, I had talked all off season about like DeMarcus Walker being a guy that they sneaky needed to replace and hadn't because, you know, he ended, he, DeMarcus Walker had what, seven sacks last year or something like that. I think is, I think that's, yeah, you're right very heartbroken over it. I, he was really good for them. He was really good for them last year. Um, and he left and they never replaced him really. I think Travis Gibson replaces him. I, I compared the two last night, uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, if you look at the last two years combined, which, you know, obviously like Gibson had a down year last year, you mentioned the double team rate. Like when he was across from Khalil Mack in 2021, he had great numbers. He had uh, seven sacks. And I think a lot of those were half sacks because um, PFF counts half sacks as full sacks. And he has 10 according to PFF. So at least three half sacks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Maybe more, maybe more. I I actually this is a spot where I agree with PFF. I don't think you should have a half sack. Like if if two guys both get to the quarterback and you've got to split it between them, 
both guys did their job well enough to get to the quarterback, right? Like, so I agree with giving a full sack to both guys, even if it makes the counting for like the team stats a little weird. Um, but Gibson was very good at getting the pre- the passer opposite a dominant edge rusher in Khalil Mack. The Titans don't have a dominant edge rusher, but they do have a dominant interior rusher in Jeffrey Simmons, and they've got good edge rushers in Danico Autry, Harold Landry, Arden Key. That I that that group of four edge rushers that you can throw into the mix, and obviously you can throw Autry inside. Um, and he will be inside for a lot of third downs. You could throw Key inside. You can throw Gibson inside. They have so many different arrangements and just mixes of pass rushers that they can throw at offensive lines now. And they're going to be able to rotate these guys through because I think you could play Gibson on all downs. Like Gibson was a full-time starter for the Bears um, and obviously like did not fit with uh, – uh, goober system, uh, Eberflus. Um, I like but, goober, <laughs> Gooberflus. Um, but so he didn't fit his system, wanted out, wanted to go back to a three four, gets to do that here. So, scheme fit, he's going to come in, he's going to be a versatile piece for them. This is a great fit for the Titans. It's a great fit for Gibson because he'll be coached well, he'll be put in a position to make plays by Vrabel. In this, I'm sure defense. he had a lot of suitors, so you got to think that like the chance to play with him. Vrabel. Was yeah. the why why he chose here? I think so too because I think he would have gotten more playing time other places too. Like this is a deep, deep, deep edge group, and he's going to be probably the fourth one um, in you the think rotation. He's going to be. Uh, you don't think he's going to jump Rashad Weaver? I do. I do think he'll jump Weaver, but I'm counting. I'm and, and this is something I've, I I'm did a bad Autry. job on earlier. I I I should have been counting Autry with outside linebackers for a long time because that's it's where he's practicing now. Like that's his position group at practice. That's where they use him most of the time. So to me, it's Landry, Autry, Key, Gibson on the edge. And, and really, it's Simmons and Tart on the inside that'll be your top two there. Um, and but, look, he'd, but Gibson uh, will be the first in the rotation because you got to think that Autry, Key, and Landry will play the bulk of the snaps together on the same, at the same time, don't you think? Like, that's how I kind of view it because if you've only got two on the defensive line, then technically your third defensive lineman in a 3-4 would be Autry. Yeah, well, I, I think that's going to be – so I think when they're in base, I think Autry will play inside, and you'll have Key and Landry out there as your outside linebackers. But they play so little base defense at this point. Like, they are almost always in nickel or dime. Like, the Titans more so even than other teams. Like the Titans I'm just are, saying, like, th- those three guys are considered starters. Sure, yeah. The first guy off the bench should be Gibson, not Weaver. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think Gibbs I think Gibson's a better player than Weaver. Yeah. Um so in which Weaver's not bad. Like Weaver's not not like a bum or anything. He had what five sacks last year and and you know, he's shown flashes, but they've got like endless waves of pass rushers that they can rotate through there now. And I just think Mike Vrabel and Shane Bowen have to be like licking their chops about how they're going to arrange these guys on third downs and how they're gonna be able to just Fuck shit up. I mean, they, they can play they can play Harold Landry off the ball some if they want to run some even fronts too. I mean, like, there's so many different things that they can do with this group now up front. I think they're going to give offenses complete nightmares with the way that they're able to rotate these guys, move them around. And, and besides, like, Aziz Shire is a really good blitzer as well. So, like, 
throw him into the mix from time to time too. So I, blitzes, corner blitzes. I mean, moving people a, off the ball. It's really be, it's, fun, it's fun defense on paper. I I, I just cannot wait to see because look, I, I think Vrabel has not gotten enough credit probably from most people, especially it seems like maybe locally he gets even less credit than nationally, or maybe it's just the the national people that I listen to. Um, like Robert Mays and uh, and and Nate Tice on the Athletic Football Show, they always rave about Vrabel and the unique and creative things that that he does um, with his pass rush and with his pressure packages and things like that. And I mean, the Titans, I think, among coaching circles, because they they do talk to um, you know Mays and and Tice talk to people in the NFL and among coaching circles. Vrabel is viewed as like an innovator. He's a guy that people watch every offseason to try to see what's Vrabel doing um, with his defense. So I think schematically he is considered um, pretty advanced uh, among NFL uh, defensive minds. And a lot of teams are following the Titans in that regard, which is the opposite of how they're viewed on offense, which is is a fair criticism. But um, defensively, I, I think the Titans – do a lot of creative stuff and they have more bodies now than they've ever had to be able to send to the quarterback. And, uh, you know, look, if this defensive backfield cannot hold up with this pass rush in front of them, then fire them all into the sun and start new next year, because this is, this should be a really good defense. Mike, we both turned 38 this year. And another guy who is currently 38 is the Titans kicker who looks like he's 58. He by the way, way older than us. What has happened? What happened? <laughs> like we're we're all both born all three of us are born in 85. How come we look so much younger than him? And I go back and I'm watching Home Improvement on Disney Plus, which still holds up. <laughs> but at the time that he's on there, he is our age as well. Like he's like 36 on season 1, I believe, and like turns yeah. 40 a little bit later. And he looks like he's already in his 40s. What I, I don't get it. Like that, this is just a perplexing, I guess, random offbeat topic before we get into the kicking <laughs> situation. But just, like, why? How does that even work? I have no idea because yeah, Nick Folk looks like he's like, I mean, he looks like a grandfather. Like yeah, like he straight up looks like he's fifty five years old. Um, you know, if you, even if you look at his picture on like uh, Pro Football Reference and stuff like that, it's like golly, this guy's in the. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's wild, but yeah, yeah. good genes, I guess. On, on I guess, I guess so. I mean, I guess we just got the, 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 I guess we ate right. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's all the red meat I eat. That's what I'm going to chalk it up to. Yeah. Um, so he is the kicker. They traded a 2025 seventh round pick for him. Uh, not surprised that they ended up with Nick Folk at, in the slightest. Uh, I do think it is very interesting that they've also added Cade York to the practice squad which today Rand Carthon talked about that they have people on staff staff that can work with Cade York from the neck down in the neck up. We just have to hope that Craig Ackerman isn't either of those guys. But I want to talk about Nick Folk because the, the, big, the big knock on him is that is obviously his age and his touchback percentage. Now, there's a few things that go into the touchback percentage. Before I get into the actual touchback numbers, there's a few things that need to go into this. 
One is apparently that's how Bill Belichick likes it. I don't. I disagree with that. That's what people have said. That. Well, then why that's did Jake reports. Bailey? Then why did Jake Bailey have a sixty percent touchback rate? I don't know. Maybe it's just two different things. Uh, now the other thing is obviously colder weather up there can hurt that too. But I we let's get into the actual numbers because last year the Patriots opponents average start was 25.5 okay on off kickoffs you have to make sure you filter for kickoffs as the starting event or you're going to get like 28 something and 29 something for right. both these guys titans opponents was 24.3 so 25.5 versus 24.3 now i think my best guess is that obviously with a lower touchback percentage that obviously the Patriots have a really fucking good coverage unit. And I think that's a staple of Bill Belichick, right? That yeah, he has a like that is the likely thing I take away, which brings us into the danger zone of having Nick Folk do the kickoffs because the Titans have a terrible coverage unit. And I think they're horrendous outside of like we we have like Six big bang plays every year, and everybody gets all hype with it. But I don't think this coverage unit is very good, and they're obviously rostering two kickers. But today, Mike Vrabel, maybe it's just coach speak. Maybe it's just that this is what he truly believes for now because they he doesn't know how to handle kickers. Um, said today that there isn't going to be a kickoff specialist. This is going to be Nick Folk. Yeah, I... We'll see how long that lasts, honestly. I mean, and, and look, Folk said in the locker room, I think uh, PK asked him about it, you know, the he spent this offseason training to do kickoffs because I guess last year the plan was to have Bailey do the kickoffs and then he was kind of thrown into it midseason when Bailey got hurt in New England. So he was not expecting it. I guess he hadn't trained to do kickoffs or whatever. So he said he changed up his training this offseason to plan on doing kickoffs i i just think there's only so much you can do from a training standpoint when you're 38 years old and you don't you didn't have the biggest leg to begin with like i I went back and looked through his history of kicking off and like a pretty good touchback rate generally in the nfl is somewhere around like 50 to 60 percent um you know really good is like 70 percent plus um out of folks 15 year career he's a, he's hit 50% twice and it was like 10 years ago um it's been a while which 10 years ago was when they had the kick further back right uh like what didn't they have the kickoff spot so. way further so. back cuz that's Man, relatively five like yards i think they moved it 5 yards yeah um, which is odd that it, it was better before they moved it up <laughs> yeah i mean so he's never been a big touchback guy um and I, the thing I know people have brought up that thing about like Belichick likes to kick short and cover, which I think I just, I can't, the, the stats don't back it up at all. If you look at Jake Bailey's kickoff percentage over the, over the years, the entire time he was with new England, he's 70 or like 60% plus every single year. Like, so it's not like if, if he was kicking it off against Belichick's wishes, I certainly don't think he would have been in the sixties every single year or he would have been replaced, you know, like, so I, I just, I'm not buying this whole idea that 
Belichick told him to kick off short, and that's why he's at 9% touchback rate last year. I, I think he just doesn't have to pop to get it there. Um, and look, the fair catch rate thing may help a little bit, which was included in my article as well. Like, But it, it, the NFL modeled it based off of the college game and how that's affected college kickers, NFL kickers are different, whatever. Um, so it's not going to be perfect, but their model suggests that the return rate will drop from 38% league-wide to 31%. So Which we didn't even really see a big drop-off in preseason, but that's probably because right. teams, teams want, want to, to see what their retainer returner right. is going to do. Yeah, teams want to practice that element of the game because you can't practice that in like non-contact practices. You know, so right. um I, I think the kickoff thing is a real issue for Folk. I, I don't think he's going to be able to get many touchbacks. Now, th- if teams are fair catching, that's fine. And I will say that the Titans kick coverage unit, if you look at average return yards allowed, was actually pretty good last year. They were fourth in the NFL at like, uh, I think it was, I'll have to find the percentage. I have it in the article somewhere, but. So, yeah, if you want to go to paulkarski.com and check out the percentage, it's there. But they were fourth in the NFL on kick return or average kick return allowed. And look, the Patriots gave up three kickoff return touchdowns last year. The rest of the entire NFL combined for three. So, again, that goes against this whole thing that, like, Belichick told him to kick off short. I don't think Belichick's an idiot. And after one kick return touchdown. I don't know. He, he cut both Bailey Zappi and well, yeah, Cunning now. But I think I think Belichick uh, would be smart enough to stop kicking off short if he was getting kick return touchdowns against his uh, kickoff coverage team all the time, which they were last year. So um, that was a major issue for them. So I, I think Folk is going to stress the kickoff coverage unit. And look, the Titans kept a ton of guys. We just started talking mm-hmm. about like the You're kick coverage destroyed. unit and all of the special teams guys that they kept. Otis Reese and, you know, Matthew Jackson and, you know, Anthony Kendall, all these guys that they're going to expect to be major special teams contributors, they're going to have to be good. Like, they're, they're going to have to be good. Ackerman's going to have to get his job done. Um, and they're going to have to cover these ask. kicks because they're going to be returnable kicks from Nick Folk. I, I just – I will be shocked if he is all of a sudden a 70% kick, you know, touchback guy um, okay, this so- year. I, I, I'm going through right now and cleaning up some data because it's a, there's a lot of kickoffs in the NFL over, from yeah. 2000 to 20, uh, 2022. Easy for me to say. So there's a, there's like 57,000 kickoffs that I'm having to clean up the data for and everything. But I was able to do some field goal kicking stats by age, similar for stackinginbox.com. It's not released yet, but it will be. Uh, but... I did something similar to uh, Derrick Henry and talking about superstar running backs and the age curve for superstar running backs. This is not fair to Derrick Henry if your data includes 50,000 Lamont Jordan running backs to figure out what actually Derrick Henry can do as the age goes on. Now, for the kickers real quick, there's 69 different kickers that had to meet a certain criteria. They had to attempt 20 field goals attempted. They had to at least play six seasons in the NFL. And um, they were age. This is only for age 22 through 41 because there's been a lot of people in the 40s. But we're 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 doing this for Nick Folk purposes right now. 69 kickers met that criteria. 551 different kicks. So I want to go through, and I'm only going to name the 38 year old percentage. So 
38 expected points added by the kickings kickers that were 38 was the second highest in their range from 22 to 41 with 0.13 positive 0.13 which is really good the average kick distance from that sage same edge range is the sixth highest which is 37.5 which is the average kick distance per kickoff uh or on kickoffs uh points per game 38 was the fourth highest with 7.26 points per game. And the field goal percentage was actually the highest at 86.7. So at 38, field goal kickers are making 86.7% of their kicks. But they're normally, remember, average kick distance is right at 37.5. But last year, he was 4 for 5 for 50 plus. So, are you okay with them sacrificing because they have an elite defense, we perceive, sacrificing kickoffs for field goals? Yeah, I mean, I I think field goals are generally more valuable. Um, And if you, over the course of the season, make 85% of your field goal attempts instead of 70% 70% of your field goal attempts that may, I mean, I guess depending on when they occur, right? Like you can never control for when those kicks go through, whether it's uh, the kick against the giants last year to win the game or whether it's the kick, you know, when they're down 38 to seven and you know, they kick a field goal to make it 38, 10, like it, those kicks have very different leverages for the results of your season. But if you're saying just spreading that across all kicks, I think you're more likely to, win a game because of good field goal kicking than you are to win a game because of great kickoffs, um, you know, great touchbacks. So I think, I think that's a trade I'm happy to make, but I, I just think it's a concern that has to be mentioned with Fulgan. Look, the field goal kicking distance has been okay. Like he's, you're not going to try a 60 yard field goal with Nick Folk. I don't think, right? Like he, he's his career long. He's very good to do that. One of the guys would have been like Brandon McManus or Daniel Carlson, but you know, those guys aren't technically available. I think you could kick it with, yeah, you could kick with Tucker, obviously Butker, like there's a few. And I think Cade York is a guy that like, if he can get his head right, you would kick a 60 plus yard field goal with, I think he made one from 59 last year in his first game uh, to win the game. Um, And then obviously fell apart after that. But uh, York to me being on the practice squad is, is a great thing for the Titans because look, we've seen it with older kickers before. Like you don't know when it's just going to fall apart on them, right? Like it it could happen. Um, Folks been pretty consistent. He did wear down, down the stretch last year. And I think the other thing, and this was actually pointed out by a Pat's pulpit uh, article, the, their SB nation site for the Patriots over there um, that folks success rate as a kicker, also declined when he was asked to start taking over field or uh, kickoffs, which, as they pointed out, also coincides with when it gets really hard to kick, especially in a division where you're playing, you know, at New England, at Buffalo, at the Jets in November, December, January. It's more difficult to kick in those scenarios um, than most anywhere else. So that could have also played a factor, but when, when he stepped in to start kicking off his success percentage on field goals and extra points, both dipped. And the other weird thing about folk to me is like, 
he was 58 during his time in New England since 2019. He was 58 of 58 on kicks under 40 yards. This automatic. But he missed 11 extra points during that time, which was like almost 10% of the extra points that he tried. So like, it's just a bizarre stat to me that he was like not actually very good at extra points, but he was really good at short field goals, which an extra point is just a short field goal. So that's one of those like statistical anomalies that I think kind of throws off maybe some of the numbers with him. But I do think he'll be a reliable, accurate kicker under 50 yards. And I think, you know, 50 to 55, I think you can, you know, fairly confidently take field goals with him. Well, I think he's better it. than Randy Bullock. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's oh, a yeah. step in the right direction. Do we, uh, am I missing anything? If, uh, I don't think I missed anything. I think, I think that it. covers it. Yeah. Um, also the yeah. 2025 seventh round pick could not give a fuck about it. Oh like, yeah. Are there people up in arms about it? Well, people, the people get mad because you had to trade a pick for a 38 year old kicker. And yeah. it's like, yeah, but it's like a future seventh rounder that is like, I mean, you can't, sorry, you can't just you... go with Cade York, right? Like and and expect to get similar results points wise, right? That you would from Nick folk. So that's why you have to spend the seventh round pick because he wasn't going to make it to you. And someone and else I... was going to trade for him. I absolutely love Cade York being on the practice squad because like, this is the perfect mix of like, you've got the reliable veteran, but you've also got the young guy with some upside that like, I mean, Cade York was yeah top high school kicker, top college kicker for his class. Like he's been really, really good for a long time and then had one year and look, I mean, it's the difference of like two or three made kicks between him being run out of Cleveland and him being, you know, a hero in Cleveland, right? Like that is the the fine line that it is. And I do think that the Titans have a lot of resources from like a mental coaching and, and stuff like that. We've heard a lot of the players talk about that. We've heard about Vrabel talking about that. I think that is something that they do put an emphasis on. And hopefully that, that can help Cade York maybe uh, build back his confidence, getting some time on the practice squad, getting to work with Nick Folk. Um, and maybe you end up getting a really good young kicker out of this whole thing for, for 2024 and beyond. Well, the one thing the Titans will make sure of is that they have a uh, kicker on the practice squad with some basic ass bitch name. We got Tucker, Cade, Caleb, Trey. Uh, I mean, come on. They do. They like, do like that. They, they do, do like that mold. Yeah. Yeah. Sam. They love it. Sam. Well, Sam picking. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sam Sloman too. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they got to have one. You know, they, they just got to have one kicker like that on the end. Is, there is a question on Robbie and Rex Road that I want to ask you. And it's an overarching, doesn't have to be Titans or NFL related. And we're going to close the show with this. I'm going to tell you what I answered to give you time to think about it. All right. They, they asked, it was Nick Keezer, the producer. They asked, if you could be the general manager of any sports franchise at, in a given point in time, what team would it be and what would you do? Why are you choosing that time? I went and said, I would love to be GM of the 1998 Tennessee Titans when they passed on Randy Moss for Kevin Dyson. I think that w- would be a pivotal moment in this franchise's history. Gosh, so for me, I'll say... I would love to be the GM of like, give me like the uh, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder when they had like, 
like right after they got SGA and they've got like a bajillion picks over the next few years, like they can turn that roster into like something amazing. Like just give me the, the like resources to build as much as I want. Just kind of like, just be loaded with resources. Dude, basically you could, if you're NFL terms, you'd be the Cardinals. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I would love to be in, in, uh, uh, what's his name? Monty Austin Ford shoes right now. Interesting. Very interesting. That will do it for us. Football and other F-words, thank you for joining wait, us. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. But without the Kyler Murray contract. Yeah, I cannot, I would not want the Kyler Murray contract, so. I don't know how you're going to get rid of it, so you'd have to <laughs> almost go back to the Steve Kime days and then yeah. somehow Un- survive something. Contract, <laughs> but then end up with all the draft assets that yeah. they did. Uh, that will do it for us. Football and other F-words, you can jo- join us every week. We go live. Also, you can also join us. At Bluegrass Beverages, you can join me and Stoney Keeley. We will be at Bluegrass Beverages starting at 12, but we'll be setting up, going live at 1230. We'll be there for a little bit of time, promoting the event, giving you a good look of what's going on around the event and everything. Food trucks, breweries, join us. Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee, celebrating 50 years of service, which is insane. Basically, Nick Folk looks like Bluegrass Beverages' age. That's what that's what he looks like. Yes. Uh, you can follow him on X at Mike Herndon NFL. You can follow me on tw- X at FWordsPod. StackingTheInbox.com is where you can read all of our work, or my work, and Stoney's work, and Trey's work. Uh, released a new stat, H-curve for superstar running backs, where it details and tries to predict. We'll see if it actually comes true. Tries to predict Derrick Henry's season as he enters in this age of his life and paulkarski.com for all of mike's works every wednesday this has been football and other f words and you oh wait a minute before you go we still got a lot of people watching 1 p.m central standard time turn on notifications 440 sports me and Braden, a football show we're going to be talking about uh, his perspective on the titans news and we're also going to be talking about sec week one football baby it's back Yes. Football games talk about. Florida, but this has been Utah football. Tonight. Yeah. The, yeah. I got UConn. Uh, I took the uh, spread 14.5 in favor of UConn. So, yeah. There we Utah. go. Utah. UConn. No, it's UConn versus Washington State or NC State. Oh, no. I was talking about Florida, Utah. Is that, that's tonight, that's tonight. too? I thought yeah, that was yeah. tomorrow. No, I there you go. Tonight. Are you sure? Thursday, right? Yeah. I guess so. Maybe. I thought it was Friday. Either way, football and other F words. And you have just been effed.